while I served part-time. That job and the home loan benefits I got from my service helped me buy my first home. And I take pride knowing I will be the first to respond if my community ever needs me. To learn more, visit nationalguard.com. Are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Dr. Colin Hardy and his team at Atlas Chiropractic are here to help. When your spine is out of alignment or subluxated, the nervous system can't function properly. Spinal misalignments can lead not only to headaches and back pain, but also sleeplessness, chronic tiredness, decreased immunity, and general malaise. Don't wait. Call Atlas Chiropractic today for a free examination and consultation with Dr. Hardy. It's time to spring into a healthier you at Atlas Chiropractic, Sheridan's premier wellness center. Call 672-6000 to schedule your appointment. This is Dr. Colin Hardy with Atlas Chiropractic. Be sure to ask us about our new patient specials. Take the first step to a better you. Call 672-6000. That's 672-6000. Your healing begins when you pick up the phone. From changes to one's daily schedule to the adjustments necessary for a safe return home after an injury, surgery, or serious illness, Sheridan Memorial Hospital's transitional care team of nurses, doctors, and therapists are here for you. This is Tiffany Sutton, Transitional Care Rehab Coordinator, and on behalf of our entire team, we thank you for all of the contributions made toward creating this new space in the hospital, opening soon. With your help, we will continue to serve our community with excellent patient-centered care. Are you ready for a new career? Your locally owned McDonald's in Sheridan, Buffalo, and Gillette is in search of crew members and shift managers. Owner, Larry Storo. Bob, one of the many benefits of working for McDonald's is our tuition assistance programs. You can earn a college degree through Colorado Technical University with 100% of your tuition covered. Or you can earn up to $3,000 in tuition assistance for Sheridan College or the University of Wyoming. Come in and we'll explain all the details. If you need your high school diploma, McDonald's will assist with that as well. Join the McDonald's team today. McDonald's working to brighten your future. In today's competitive landscape, Range knows your business's connection is everything. We're prepared for your tomorrow and beyond as we are your one vendor solution to providing stronger customer connections. I'm Gabe Reese, your Range Business Solution Specialist. Whether it's network services, internet, or phone and camera systems, I'm ready to help ensure your business is equipped with comprehensive, top-of-the-line technology business class services. One company, one network. All for one reason. You. Visit range.net today. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program, brought to you by Elias and Financial. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. Now, In Bloom 2022 is a fundraiser for the Sheridan Community Land Trust, presented by Sheridan Media on Saturday, September 10th at the Whitney Center for the Arts at Sheridan College. And this morning, we are honored to have the speaker for In Bloom 2022, an archaeologist from the Department of Anthropology, University of Montana, specializing in Native American archaeology of the Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains of Montana and Wyoming, and the author of Before Yellowstone, Native American Archaeology in the National Park. Please welcome Professor Douglas McDonald. Good morning, Professor. 
Good morning, Floyd. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, speak with us, sir. Now, uh, what what inspired you to first become an archaeologist? Well, you know, when I was in college back in the uh, the olden days, I uh, I went to spend a summer in uh, Mexico. Uh, I was actually interested in in uh, economic development of, of uh, Latin American countries. But I ended up hanging out with uh, some fellow students that were going around all these different pyramids and big archaeological sites in Mexico, and, and it spurred my interest in uh, becoming an archaeologist, and uh, I never looked back from there. That's fascinating. You went down there for a, a reason completely unrelated and fell in love with yes, the practice. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. Yep. What, do you remember the moment where, where you decided to change everything? Um, well, you know, I was actually taking some classes as a, as a college student. Uh, there were some professors at my university that uh, specialized in studying hunter-gatherer people. So, you know, most of the Native Americans living in, like, Wyoming, Montana, places like Yellowstone were hunter-gatherers, that, people that lived off the land. And I was just taken by that sort of lifestyle uh, and way of life that, uh, you know, all of our ancestors were pretty good at. <laughs> and is that what led you into uh, specializing in Native American studies? Yeah, um, you know, I think the other thing that uh, led me to specialize in Native American studies is just there's a lot of job opportunities uh, working for universities, working for the federal uh, federal agencies, working for tribes and states, and and even archaeological consulting. So there's there's just a lot more job opportunities. There's like if I if I was going to go out and specialize in Mexican archaeology, uh, you, you pretty much would have to almost be a university professor, and and those jobs are really hard hard to get. But uh, it's it's a lot easier to be an archaeologist in the United States uh, if you're uh, because of all these other job opportunities. And so, you know, I, I listened to my professors <laughs> 30 or 40 years ago, whatever, how long ago it was, and uh, they said, Doug, study North American archaeology and you'll be all right. So I, I listened <laughs> to their advice and, uh, and uh, never looked back, yeah. I, I, I absolutely respect that. It's a very pragmatic approach, and you've got a subject that you can literally study for the rest of your life. Now... <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, sir, uh, but if I reach back to my history days uh, in college, it is believed that mankind came to North America uh, basically through Canada and through a glacial valley, correct? Yeah, so that's one of the uh, scenarios. The other one these days that, that I think is a little more widely accepted is that they probably, the first settlers, probably came down the Pacific coast. Now, that doesn't mean that the first people to Wyoming and Montana and Yellowstone came down the Pacific coast. They they could have come down through the ice-free corridor like you're describing in Canada. So it's, it's actually unknown at this point whether the first people to Yellowstone, Wyoming, Montana, got there through that ice-free corridor, the interior route, through Canada, like you said, or whether they came down, say, the Pacific Coast, and then up, like, the Columbia River to the Snake River, and then ultimately into Wyoming that way, and to Yellowstone. So it's, we actually don't know, and that's what makes it pretty interesting. It really does. Having questions makes it <laughs> much more fun uh, when you're approaching yep. the problem. How long has your work 
focused on the archaeology of Yellowstone itself. Yeah, so when I got to the University of Montana about 16 years ago, uh, I started looking around for uh, people to collaborate with. I contacted a lot of people that were uh, archaeologists for federal agencies, for tribes, for state archaeology agencies. Um, and I, I came into contact with uh, two folks, uh, Elaine Hale and Ann Johnson, who were the archaeologists at Yellowstone National Park. And they were uh, graduates of the program at the University of Montana. And so we hit it off really well. And it, uh, from that point on, uh, we st I started working in Yellowstone doing archaeology for Anne and Elaine in 2007 and uh, have been working there ever since, bringing students to the park to do archaeology for, for the park. So I don't, I don't work for Yellowstone National Park. I work for the University of Montana. Um, but the park uh, hires me and my students under grants uh, in order to complete the archaeology. Now, when it came to Yellowstone, how many sites are active or are currently being studied in the park itself? Well, this was a pretty slow summer. The park really was focused on the 150th uh, anniversary. Uh, so a big part of that were their Native American outreach activities. So they, I don't know if you saw in the news, but they had a big um, a teepee village at Madison Junction there near West Yellowstone, and then another one over in the north entrance near Gardner. And so there wasn't a lot of archaeology going on uh, in the park. And the other reason there was not a lot of archaeology this summer is because the park's archaeologists were responding to the natural disaster, the yeah. flooding, yeah. and trying to see how those had impacted the big archaeological sites. So I actually didn't spend a lot of summer uh, this summer in Yellowstone, but last summer I was there quite a lot. And we were working in the Gardner Valley, um, the Gardner River Valley there. Uh, the one project I did this summer was up in the Gallatin Mountains. So, we're, you know, we've been all over the park. There's archaeological sites everywhere. So it, humans were very active around Yellowstone National Park through that entire area. Yeah, pretty much anywhere I've ever looked in Yellowstone where there'd be a flat area where I would pitch a tent to camp. <laughs> There's almost always an archaeological site there, so it's, it's not actually not hard to find them, um, especially around areas like Yellowstone Lake, the Yellowstone River, the major other river valleys like the Snake River and the Madison, the Gallatin Rivers, all, all which have their headwaters in Yellowstone National Park. So those are um, all places where Native Americans lived regularly. Now, when somebody finds something, uh, what alerts archaeologists to a site that may contain uh, materials that will teach us a little bit more about our past? What is it that brings in the team? Same types of things that you would find anywhere, even around Sheridan, they're uh, stone tools. So the hunter-gatherers that lived in Montana and Wyoming and Yellowstone were hunter-gatherers who used stone tools. Uh, in order to, to live in their daily lives. So they would uh, find obsidian, for example, which is a really nice stone. They can make uh, knives and, and arrowheads and uh, cutting tools and all the equipment that they needed to, to live uh, out of those stone tools. And so that's typically the first thing that we look for at an archaeological site to see if Native Americans live there. And obsidian takes a lot of volcanic activity to create. Uh, so is that what you theorize as to quite possibly led those people there? 
It was definitely a draw. So obsidian's really abundant in Yellowstone. And so there's about 15 different obsidian sources and probably even more that haven't been found, not to mention other types of stone that are found there as well that Native Americans like, like quartzite and chert. And so, yeah, Native Americans were, were drawn to Yellowstone. But there's also just a tremendous amount of uh, resources to live by. As it's, a, it's kind of an idyllic location for hunter-gatherers because there's a lot of water. Um, there's uh, all kinds of animals uh, that you know we hunt today that they hunted back then, <laughs> and uh, plants that they collected like bitterroot and pine nuts and, and things like that. So it's uh, Yellowstone in the warmer season is a great place to be if you're, if you're a hunter-gatherer. So it's, it's not just the obsidian, but that was, yes, yeah, certainly a big draw for them because you need that to live. And, and, and that was one of the reasons that they uh, probably first started to go there because there's so much of that rock. Obsidian was just as important to them. Obsidian and materials like it, rock like it, as, as steel is to us in this modern age. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I always call um, Yellowstone Native Americans, Wyoming and Montana's first hard rock miners, you know, mining is such a big thing in, in our states, and, uh, but, you know, European Americans were not the first to do it. Native Americans were going to these big obsidian quarries and, and actually digging it up, mining for it, and if you go to those quarries, like, for example, Obsidian Cliff in Yellowstone, there's big pits there with uh, talus debris around the edges of it, and it shows a lot of activity by Native Americans over the last 11,000 years. Wow. Now, Professor, I often talk about an archaeological dig that we have close to Buffalo. Uh, I got to go out there and spend some time uh, with some students who, who would show me just a handful of what looked like little tiny pebbles. And they would flick away the pebbles until there was just one there. And they would say, see, that's a nap. And, and it just blew my mind how well that they could identify that kind of stuff. What happens to confirm that a site is worth further study? Is it based on just the amount of material? Is it uh, what confirms that? It's the amount of material. So generally, it is sites with lots of artifacts, like lots of obsidian debris, things like that. But also um, fire pits, or um, teepee rings, or rock art, or all these other kind of features that show. It'll give us some idea about the behavior of people, you know, trying to understand their ways of life is fascinating for people, for me as an archaeologist, and so those are the sorts of things that make a site important to excavate, to put more time into, because it'll tell us more about the lives of people that lived, you know, 11,000 years ago. Which is an absolutely fascinating subject. Uh, When we return, we're going to continue with Professor of Archaeology Douglas McDonald. This is Public Pulse on 930KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared. At Eliason Financial, money management isn't just about dollars and cents. It's about dreams and opportunities, and more importantly, family. We'll take time to get to know you. Then we'll develop a unique wealth management plan that works hard, just like you. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, Visit Eliason Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. 
Patrick Stop Smoking Seminars, and they said only $49.99, and it could work for you. So I thought, that's not even a week's worth of smoking. So I went, and guess what? It did work for me. You know, my friends and family are still amazed. I quit smoking. I didn't have cravings, anxiety, or weight gain. Listen, I don't know how it works, but I know it works because I'm living proof, and it's 100% guaranteed. So what do you got to lose? I'll tell you what you got to lose. A very bad habit. Join Mark Patrick Seminars and stop smoking now without cravings, irritability, weight gain, or your money back. Only $49.99 guaranteed. Hypnosis designed to work without anxiety, irritability, or weight gain. For only $49.99, become a non-smoker. The seminar is Sunday, September 18th at the Ramada in Sheridan from 2 to 4 p.m. Registration starts at 1.30. The weight loss seminar starts at 11 a.m. and the stop smoking at 2 p.m. Have you heard? Sheridan's own Vacutech is growing and they're now hiring part-time weekend workers. Open positions include general labor, machine operators, craters, and more. Vacutech is offering weekend premium pay and a $2,000 sign-on bonus. This is the perfect opportunity to make extra money or even a great living while working weekends and enjoying the week off. For more information and to apply, visit Vacutech's Open Opportunities page on their website at vacutechllc.com. The Sheridan Farmer's Market is back for another great season on Grinnell Plaza with local produce, meat, eggs, coffee, baked goods, and outstanding locally handcrafted items. Every Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m., you can find the best our hardworking local producers have to offer. Special thanks to our season sponsor, First Federal Bank and Trust. See you Thursday on Grinnell Plaza at the Sheridan Farmer's Market. And remember, please leave your pets at home. You don't have to wait for the weekend to have a garage sale. Look around. What do you have to sell? Take a picture and put it for sale in the Country Bounty Photo Classifieds. It's fast, easy. Pictures really help your items sell, too. The Country Bounty is directly mailed to nearly 18,000 households in Sheridan and Johnson County. It gets results. Call the Country Bounty today, 674-4312, or email countrybounty at sheridanmedia.com. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, brought to you by our friends out there at Eliason Financial. I'm Floyd Whiting. This morning, we're honored to have the speaker for In Bloom 2022, an archaeologist from the Department of Anthropology, University of Montana, specializing in Native American archaeology of the Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains of Montana and Wyoming. He's also the author of Before Yellowstone, Native American Archaeology, in the National Park, Professor Douglas McDonald. Now, Professor, uh, according to the evidence that you and others have gathered and studied through the years from Yellowstone, how long has mankind been visiting Yellowstone National Park? Yes, so the earliest evidence that we have in Yellowstone is about 11,000 years old, and it's associated with the Clovis culture, and so there's a important archaeological site not too far uh, west of Sheridan called the Colby Mammoth site. It's up uh, kind of north of Worland. That's probably the most important Clovis site in the region, but uh, we have a little bit of evidence of those people going up into Yellowstone as well. That's fascinating. And do we know much about their culture that differs from other cultures? 
Well, you know what's kind of interesting is that a lot of hunter-gatherer peoples lived similar lives, now whether they lived in Wyoming or uh, Africa or Asia or Australia, it's just, uh, you know, hunting and gathering leads you to have a really intimate knowledge of the environment, uh, lets you uh, sort of learn what's really important to eat and to not to eat, <laughs> you know, what predators you have to be aware of, and uh, it leads to a really intimate, almost spiritual-like um, uh, existence uh, in the world around you, sort of very much contrasting a lot of how we live today, which is, you know, this uh, much more reliant on uh, technology and, and things like that. So the, the people that, that lived in, in Wyoming 11,000 years ago were um, much more intimately tied to the land for the most part. I, I can only speak for myself, obviously, in that regard. <laughs> And it's it's absolutely fascinating that we can find evidence uh, and and know just a little bit of an insight into what their daily activities were, uh, which I can only imagine were probably primarily focused around acquiring food. Correct? Yeah, but they probably did that for a few hours a day, and and then they had a very rich social and religious uh, life as well. That they were spiritual people, just like many people in the, in the world today, and had uh, strong beliefs about how the world worked and, and their origins and uh, gods and spirits and things like that, just like a lot, a lot of us do today here. And and so that, that, that world was very much intertwined with the natural world as well. So it's, uh, you know, I think it is uh, easy to think about them as spending their time just sort of hunting and gathering and looking for food, because that's what most of the archaeology tells us that they were doing. But what we're really missing in that equation is is that social and religious life that was so vibrant for Native American people. Now, what types of evidence can you find that show that developing culture uh, as they move up? Once a site is found, is it simply like the naps and the tools that are around that tell us, okay, they come from this particular period? And then the focus is in that area, or uh, like the development of the teepee. Can we kind of narrow that down yet? Yeah, so we can find the um, oldest archaeological sites with stone circles. So the stone circles, as many of your listeners have probably found wandering around the plains of Wyoming and Montana, are the evidence of those teepees. And so we found one in Yellowstone that dates to about 4,500 years that's about as early as they come, and there's there's another site in uh, Saskatchewan that has a, a stone circle that's about that age, and then a few more across the Great Plains in Wyoming, Montana. So it looks like maybe about 4,000 years ago or so, they started to use the teepee much more regularly, and that was pretty intimately associated with their um, evolution of the bison hunting culture. So bison herds were really starting to thrive at that time and uh, coming in in huge numbers. So, you know, you've seen the movie Dances with Wolves with their famous bison hunting scenes, and um, there's thousands and thousands of bison out on the prairies and plains of our region, and that's, that's the sort of scene, and, and that's the sort of lifestyle that led to the use of that mobile living technology, teepees. Wow. And, and do we have any idea of what they really used beforehand? Was it simply uh, like a, a fur hut that they were using? Or do we even have any evidence of anything before the teepee? Before that, it looks like, especially in, in some of the hotter regions of Wyoming, some people were using pit houses. So there are 
um, establishing uh, residences that were sort of semi-excavated into the ground. And then there was a, probably a wood structure, not too dissimilar to a teepee above it with leather and, and uh, other things, hides and things covering the top of it. So the teepee is sort of a mobile adaptation to what was probably already a, a similar sort of living, living arrangement uh, used by Native Americans. So there's lots of archaeological sites in, in Wyoming in southern Montana, places like the Bighorn Basin, that have evidence of those pit houses. Uh, and, and so, but even that's maybe 5,000, 6,000 years ago. Once you get back earlier than that, it probably, again, was some variation of the teepee, but, but we just don't find evidence. So, so uh, we're, we're not really sure. So that's another thing that's, uh, again, not knowing is what makes it fun. So. Yeah. And it seems like there was a very slow evolution of technological progress uh, in the beginning. Uh, with thousands of years, if you know, a thousand, maybe, maybe thousand and a half years that passed by before, you know, they changed something about the house or they changed something about their migration. Is, is, does that seem correct to you? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's true not just of Native American hunter gatherers, but hunter gatherers throughout the world. So if you go to a place like Great Britain or Africa, you'll see similar sorts of conservative technologies. And that's because. Any sort of change to the modus operandi could possibly increase their risks. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of a situation where you have a technology that works. You can hunt animals. You can collect plants. You can you can make a living using a certain type of technology. Uh, it's kind of risky to change that technology. And, and so uh, anything that would risk success probably wouldn't be innovative. And so... Hunter-gatherers are one of the more conservative sorts of culturally conservative cultural groups in, in the world. They just don't don't change, you know, uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. So environmental change, something that causes an environmental shift in which they need new technologies would be the impetus uh, for that change. Essentially, if it's not broke, don't shake, take the chance to fix it. It might kill yeah. us off. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't exactly. want to take a lot of risks back then. Now, uh, Professor, before I let you go, I I'm just curious. What would you say your proudest moment in archaeology is for you? Yeah, so I think a lot of archaeologists would talk about their most significant discovery. You know, we have found Clovis artifacts dating 11,000 years ago. For me, my most significant achievement really is is taking our students here at the University of Montana, just like your faculty do there at the, at the University of Wyoming and, and other places there, uh, and, and getting those students jobs so that they can become professionals in archaeology, in all honesty. When I, if I ever get a moment to reflect on what I find to be a successful <laughs> part of my career, it's, it's, it's getting our students uh, into, into the workforce to do what they want to do, which is become archaeologists. So that's what I'm most proud of. <laughs> And rightfully so. Uh, they will go on and make discoveries of their own. And, and so when you show up down here for the In Bloom fundraiser, what do you plan on discussing? Yeah, so I'm going to basically take uh, people at that In Bloom um, presentation around Yellowstone. So they're going to see a lot of beautiful pictures of Yellowstone that I've taken, that my, my friends and colleagues have taken, that uh, uh, pictures of wildlife. Um, 
those sort of typical things, but then I'm going to take you over a tour of Yellowstone that involves Native Americans and some of the important places in Yellowstone where you can uh, see and observe Native American culture firsthand. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, kind of get a little bit more of an insight and add something even more to a great area. Now, uh, Professor, someone at one time gave you a great piece of advice. If someone out there listening is interested in pursuing archaeology as a profession or even as a hobby, what advice would you give them today? Yeah, so there's a lot of opportunities to become an archaeologist, like I mentioned earlier in this talk, that that uh, to become a professor, professional uh, archaeologist is maybe not as hard as a lot of people would think. So if, if that's what you're passionate about as a high school student or college student or, uh, or uh, anybody along that educational spectrum up to retirees, there's a lot of opportunities for volunteerism. There's the Wyoming Archaeology Council. There's the uh, Wyoming Archaeological Society groups that, uh, that uh, support volunteers. Uh, Forest Service has volunteer programs, that Passport in Time, it's called. And, and so there's a lot of opportunities to get involved and, and to participate. And uh, if you come to the In Bloom talk, I'll, I'll be more than happy to answer more questions about that. <laughs> Professor, I want to thank you for calling in today and sharing your knowledge and your work with us. I also want to thank you uh, very much for coming and uh, giving us a talk Saturday, September 10th, during the In Bloom celebration. Hey, thanks so much, Floyd. I appreciate it. All right. When we return, we're going to speak with the Sheridan Community Land Trust. This is Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Sheridan. At Eliason Financial, money management isn't just about dollars and cents. It's about dreams and opportunities, and more importantly, family. We'll take time to get to know you. Then we'll develop a unique wealth management plan that works hard, just like you. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, visit Eliason Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. This is Alicia Cox with Harker Mellinger, LLC. Since 1983, Harker Mellinger has been a leading accounting firm in Sheridan. We are here to help you succeed in your business and provide services which are customized to meet your financial needs and allows you to spend more time managing your business. Call today to see how we can provide you with cost-effective solutions, 672-0785 in Sheridan. Harker Mellinger, our focus is where you're going, not where you've been. The owners and staff at Kane's Funeral Home would like to thank the families of Sheridan and Johnson Counties for choosing Kane's and allowing them to serve you during these hard times. Kane Funeral Home makes it their mission to take the stress and uncertainty out of ceremonial services. They own and operate the only crematory in Sheridan County, so your loved one is always in their care. Kane's Funeral Home. 
Call 673-5837 or visit them online at canefuneral.com. Bye-bye, my good boy. Be good while we go on vacation. Ah! Parents get so uptight leaving us precious pets behind, but when they leave us in the quality care of McGraw's Paws, they really have nothing to worry about. We get lots of love and attention from the trained staff. This place is so nice, clean, safe, and pretty darn comfortable, so we dogs and cats have a good time while they're away. Plus, it's in a convenient in-town location for our humans. McGraw's Paws, 1820 Gabriel Court, next to Second Chance Cat Rescue. Call 307-381-2184. We're taking in advance reservations. The Sheridan Farmer's Market is back for another great season on Grinnell Plaza with local produce, meat, eggs, coffee, baked goods, and outstanding locally handcrafted items. Every Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m., you can find the best our hardworking local producers have to offer. Special thanks to our season sponsor, First Federal Bank and Trust. See you Thursday on Grinnell Plaza at the Sheridan Farmer's Market. And remember, please leave your pets at home. Hi, this is Colton Bates with the best team bringing you the best tip of the week. When purchasing a new home, there are certain things you should avoid to successfully get closed. Some you hear more frequently, like not buying or leasing a new car as it will affect your debt-to-income ratio. But some things might not be as obvious, like changing jobs or running up your credit limits to buy new furniture. These do-nots will only prolong the process and create more headaches. The best thing you can do is communicate with your lender or with an agent so they can for you. Find that new dream home and more helpful tips by calling me, Colton, at 675-BEST and by visiting bestwi.net. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse brought to you by our friends out there at Eliason Financial. I'm Floyd Whiting. For the second part of our show this morning, I am joined by the executive director of the Sheridan Community Land Trust, Brad Bauer, Trails Program Manager, Will Dutcher, and Director of Marketing and Development himself, Mr. Chris Verba. Good morning, Land Trust. Morning, Floyd. Morning. Now, great uh, morning. Floyd. It is a great morning. You know, I always love having you on, Chris. You're always so optimistic about the day, even when it's so hot outside. You I know, feel like I'm melting. It's, it's going to be a sizzler uh, yesterday. It, it was pretty nice. It's certainly going to be a sizzler tomorrow. And you know what? Coming up on Saturday, September 10th, it is going to be a sizzler, but thankfully... We have full air conditioning, thanks to Sheridan College. <laughs> so you'll be able to come out and bloom with us at In Bloom this Saturday, September 10th, beginning at 6.30 out at the Whitney Center for the Arts. It's a fundraiser for SCLT, and we are going to have an absolute blast because you heard the stories that Dr. Douglas McDonald had to tell today. Now, just wait till you hear the stories he's going to tell us this coming Saturday. And it's so fascinating to learn about the history of the land and and how people have used it for over 11,000 years. I mean, it, it's almost difficult to put that kind of timeline into context into your head. Yeah, I, I can't remember what I did last weekend. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and to think that, you know, people have been living and using this land and uh, uh, what its resources for that amount of time. Yeah. Uh, you know, long before the white man even knew that these shores existed. Right. Uh, gosh, this before I think even the white man started some of his settlements over there for, for quite some time. Now, uh, for those who may not know, what is In Bloom and why do we hold this event? Well, quite simply, it's a uh, fundraiser for SCLT. So, what you'll be able to do by coming to In Bloom, you'll be able to help keep so many of these fantastic community programs, well, 
in bloom. So we we're going to be raising money to help conserve local lands and ranches and to preserve and tell stories of our local history and connect our community with the outdoors. I will. How have you been connecting the community with the outdoors this summer? Yeah, they've been doing a lot of new trail building up there. Go ahead, uh, pull that. You can pull that mic right into your face. There you go. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of uh, trail building out there, making new opportunities for people. Um, lots of new hiking and biking trails um, going up on the Red Gray Trail system this year. Um, they put in four new trails um, this year. Wow. Um, primarily like mountain bike specialized trails um but most of them are also open to uh, mountain biking um so yeah if you're really excited about getting out in the mountains and escaping the heat it's a great way to um access the outdoors there's what hiking biking and equestrian trails now up there at poverty flat correct up yep. on the red grade trail system and then where you also been spending a good deal of time with volunteers keeping the trails that we do have previously in in tip-top shape as well yeah, um, earlier this season in the spring, there was a volunteer event um, out at Hidden Hoot to repair some um, damage, like trail damage, um, and that went really well, and it brought a lot of people, and it seemed like people had fun um, volunteering for that. So. Will, when we look at a trail, and let's say there's a washout, and that trail's kind of on the side of a hill, I mean, you know, some people would just think automatically, well, you just move some dirt back there, <laughs> but what does it really take? Because I, I would think that that actually takes quite a bit of work and know-how to get that to stick around because you've got to build a surface that thousands of people are going to be using. Uh, how do you guys accomplish something like that? Yeah, it takes a lot of planning and vision to install a trail first that's going to be sustainable and hopefully um, water damage and stuff like that doesn't happen in the first place. But a lot of times trails are built um, sort of by social, you know, social people, you know, people using them. Yeah. Um, and if those trails end up like washing out, um, it takes a group of volunteers, usually a day or two to like build a retaining wall or see the potential and like maybe moving the trail somewhere where it's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. Um, so it takes, yeah, vision from a lot of people and hard work. So it's a lot of folks that go up there and will look at the trail and say, you know what, this is now a new drainage and we got to move this thing. Right. Uh, how often does that happen? How often does the land end up changing on you? Um, it changes, but, you know, just about every season, just um, after the winter and runoff and all that sort of stuff. Um, but usually the trails are able to um, sort of maintain themselves um, if they're built properly and put in the right spot. I've got a, a reporter here, Ron Richter. Uh, great guy, fantastic reporter, loves to mountain bike. Uh, he takes advantage of your guys' trails all the time. You say that you've added some new mountain bike trails. W w what was added this year? Yeah. Um, so as far as mountain biking trails or mountain bike accessible trails, um, Little Bear Loop um, was completed this year. It was started last year, um, and then they ran out of time. But So that was finished. Um, that's a really fun uh, mountain bike specialized trail where um, you lead kind of through some trees and down it down the mountain through some trees and then it comes out into um, prairie and in this like spring summer there's like really beautiful um, wildflowers through that whole area and then you come back around and and climb your way back up um, and you can either choose to do another lap or 
make your way back to your car. Um, there's some really cool rollers and features in there, um, kind of built into the trail. It's built as a flow trail, is what it's called. Um, so you can use the rollers in the trail as um, a way to like maintain or gain speed. Okay. Um, and use some of those trail filters, that, features that were built in there. And now, that is how we're going to use it, use some of these funds to help improve and maintain these trails so Will and his team can get up there. How do we use this money to conserve? Yeah, so, the, you know, In Bloom is helping the whole organization as a fundraiser, so uh, conservation is certainly a big part of what we do. Um, and, and we have visited, and you visited with Megan Kent before on this program, and Megan's our conservation program manager, and she's been taking uh, some pretty interesting angles towards conservation, so we, we're, we're continuing to work with family farms and ranches and landowners across the county on uh, conserving the open space of their property. She's working with seven different families right now as they're considering wow. that option, uh, which would, uh, it's a, a perpetual agreement uh, that they would set aside that open space for generations to come. Uh, and, and maybe, I would imagine not all those projects will make their way to com completion, uh, but hopefully most will, uh, helping us you know, ensure our beautiful vistas and landscapes uh, of Sheridan County remain what they are right now. But Megan's also approaching conservation from uh, a very active program, wildlife-friendly fencing initiative that she's developing, along with others uh, in the area, uh, in the region, uh, working with, uh, again, with farms and ranches and landowners uh, uh, to do simple modifications or in cases where fences aren't needed, removals of fences, uh, keying in on places that we've learned where mule deer are moving and other wildlife are moving. Oh, yeah, migration every year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's working with these folks, these you know landowners and these other organizations uh, to coordinate and remove or modify these fences. And she's done uh, four of those projects this summer already uh, throughout the area. And Will's helped actually as well. And uh, Backcountry Horsemen have helped, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, uh, Forest Service and BLM have all thrown in time uh, and help and assistance on, on these fence projects. But it's a really amazing way to make life a little bit easier for our, our wildlife uh, neighbors while still leaving fences and operations that are working for our working lands and ranches as well. So if their family's out there and they've got a, a pretty good size plot of land and they're like, yeah. you know, we think some of these fences can go. How do they hit the reset button? How do they contact uh, Megan up there? Just like you would it, it, any, uh, anyone else that you want to reach out to here at the Land Trust, you can call us. It's 673-4702, uh, and any one of us will be able to answer uh, the, the phone and get you to the right person with the right question that you have. Um, or you can always email us at uh, office at Sheridan, CLT, as in communitylandtrust.org. And we'll get you to the right person to help you with whether it's trails or it's conservation, conser wildlife-friendly fences, or uh, what else in Bloom is supporting is our history program as well. So if you, know, if you have history questions or history programs or uh, interest in our history program, you can reach out to us in all those uh, ways that we discovered, and, and we'll get you to the right person. That's why in Bloom is so important to us is that it's helping us raise all of these uh, initiatives and programs that we have you know, whether, like a, whether it's trails, whether it's conservation, whether it's history, or whether it's our very successful summer, 
mostly summer education series or discovery sessions that we've been putting on for the last couple of years as well. Which are fantastic. Uh, those yeah, awesome. discovery yeah. sessions, yeah. They, they teach families and, and kids, you know, how to do some great things, biking, going up and actually looking at nature itself, yeah. which, which I loved, you know. Uh, Chris, you were on the show, we were talking about looking at mud and bugs and all that great stuff. And we did. I, you know, I've even happened to teach them how to catch turtles. But, <laughs> you know, kind of building off what Brad was saying, Floyd, you might remember back in May, uh, we had community volunteers join us uh, for a historic cemetery preservation cleanup, right? So, you know, obviously the cemetery uh, out at Monarch needed a little bit of TLC, and thanks to the help of community volunteers, we were able to provide that TLC, right? But that wasn't all we did while we were out there. We did a bit of historic preservation, too. And uh, so we took a catalog of all the grave sites, grabbed a bunch of photos, and here just a, what was it, just last yeah, week, yeah. Uh, we got the information back about that. Oh, wow. And so you'll be seeing something coming pretty soon about that uh, <clears throat> as we begin to share the results of that publicly. But so the cool part about the preservation piece of that is you know, we're SCLT, we're not meant to be a repository of everything, right? Right. But we do know places that are. And so we'll be sharing all that information with our friends up at the WIO uh, room up at the Sheridan Library. And so people in our community will have the opportunity to access that information and where those grave sites are at and what's what out at that site for, well... For perpetuity right so that's you know one of the those type of missions that you can help support uh by coming to in bloom and so while we aren't asking you to pay a price to come in the door uh we are gonna hook you up with some more d'oeuvres and appetizers there are there is a drink service available at the event uh, but we do have a fantastic live <clears throat> excuse me live and silent auction items that folks can have an opportunity to come out and bid on it. That's what really helps support us. So, you know, one of these items is a five-day vacation in Telluride Mountain Village. Wow. Yeah. Talk about a once-in-a-lifetime yeah, opportunity, right? right? Yeah. You can go down to the Bluegrass Festival, maybe the Film Festival. Maybe you want to go skiing. Maybe you want to go out and ride bikes or just get away from home for a while. Well, there you go. Come out to Bloom. Bid on our five-night vacation to Telluride Mountain Village. And the best part about that is that money you're bidding isn't going to someone else. It's staying right here in Sheridan County every cent because our fantastic item donors have donated the whole thing. Yeah. So that way, anything you bid on, you know that money's going to help support uh, keeping SCLT in bloom and help building that truly special community. It's Sheridan County. It's a community that's blooming. And we're helping keep it in blue. And you can, too. Uh, there's also a uh, dinner and wine tasting with Scout and Cellar uh, with Bonnie Gregory for up to 10 people. So, oh, wow. You know what that means, Floyd? You can get together a whole bunch of people. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's family. Have that perfectly catered uh, you know, dinner party. Maybe you just go get some people from Main Street and bring them back home. <laughs> I don't know. But you Pull can have money, up to right? 10, and yeah. you can have a fantastic evening, right? <laughs> 
You could even bring Trevor over. <laughs> yeah, he seems like the wine and cheese kind of guy, doesn't he? <laughs> well, so what's great about uh, Sheridan Community Land Trust, uh, and I've said it before, is it's not just about you know going out and conserving land. It's not just about trails. You guys really do take a very active role in helping to preserve the history of Sheridan, the Sheridan region, uh, with uh, Explore History, which, uh, you know, Carrie's done such a good job um, making this a program that people want to go to. I think her crowd just keeps growing. It does. Uh, We've had to move that location because we ran out of space pretty quickly, too. And I know that, you know, so many people enjoy these, these programs that she's putting on, and they make comments of them all the time. And so it's great to think about that. Brad, what inspired you guys to really branch out from just being kind of the conservative, land conservative location? What, where did all these other great ideas come from? I came from the community. Uh, so, you know, we were formed as an organization. Sheridan Community Land Trust was formed. 15 years ago, 16 years ago, based on community needs assessment. And from the very beginning, historic preservation, access to recreation, and conservation of, of our working lands was our mission, is our mission, and still remains to be our mission. How we've served those parts of our mission has grown, matured, and expanded over the years, mostly through the support of this community, the interest in the community, and as opportunities have presented themselves as well. Um, it's it's all based on the community where we're trying to fill and create those uh, those opportunities that that the community was asking for way back when 16 years ago when that needs assessment was completed and absolutely fascinating the way that you guys have done it you've garnered so much support and and I mean not just education but entertainment people like to go to these things it's entertaining to learn something about that particular piece of land that you thought was just a chunk of dirt, but no, something great happened there one day. And so when we go to this in Bloom, there's also a raffle taking place. How do I take part in the raffle, Chris? Well, it's very simple to take your shot. In our take your shot raffle, all you got to do is go buy a raffle ticket on our website. Uh, those are 10 bucks a piece. There are only 100 sold. You go to Sheridan CLT, like communitylandtrust.org. Uh, and I forgot to say what you'd be taking your shot on, and that is a Weatherby uh, Upland semi-auto 20-gauge shotgun. Uh, so you can go out and have a blast, quite <laughs> literally. <laughs> and you can do it knowing that you're going to support SCLT and know that your gun was made right here in Sheridan, Wyoming, right? So, you know, here it is, the county helping pe- people in the county helping people in the county to help people in the county. How about that? Say that five times fast, Floyd. Now, one more time. Tell me when and where this is taking place. This is Saturday, September 10th. This Saturday, it's out at the Whitney Center for the Arts. It begins at 6.30. That's drinks, dessert, hors d'oeuvres, social hour. Starting at 7.30 is our main program. You'll have an opportunity to do live and silent auction. You can buy your raffle ticket the whole time leading up to the event. And then at 7.30 is Dr. Douglas McDonald. All, All right, the information Chris. shared in CLT, like communitylandtrust.org. We'll see you in Bloom. Brad, Will, Chris, thank you all for coming in today. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared.
Eliasson Financial, money management isn't just about dollars and cents. It's about dreams and opportunities, and more importantly, family. We'll take time to get to know you. Then we'll develop a unique wealth management plan that works hard, just like you. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, visit Eliasson Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., Member FINRA, SIPC. This is Dan Marshall with Captain Clean. While dirty ductwork and carpet doesn't necessarily mean unhealthy air in your home, school, or workplace, they may be contributing to larger health issues or harboring contaminants that could cause serious problems for people with respiratory health conditions, autoimmune disorders, or environmental allergies. Call Captain Clean today for your free HVAC and free carpet cleaning estimate. It's 100% free. Captain Clean, 672-0726. Affordable choices for healthy living. Connect our community to the outdoors at SCLT in Bloom. Presented by Sheridan Media. September 10th in the Whitney Center for the Arts at Sheridan College. Learn about the 11,000-year-long history of Native Americans in Yellowstone with archaeologist and author Dr. Douglas McDonald. Enjoy cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, and desserts beginning at 6.30 p.m. Live and silent auction, shotgun raffle, paddle raise, and more at SCLT in Bloom, September 10th. RSVP at SheridanCLT.org. First Federal Bank and Trust formed in Sheridan in 1935 as a financially stable community bank. We strive every day to support and improve the lives of our staff, customers, and communities. Currently, we have some great certificate of deposit specials. We are also assisting you with an increased online savings rate that you can easily open online. First Federal strives to maximize your earnings. We have been your community bank since 1935. First Federal Bank and Trust, online at efirstfederal.bank member FDIC. The office supply department continues to expand at the Sheridan Commercial Company. Hi, Kurt Smith here. Need office supplies? We're here to help. We're adding more in-stock items all the time. You can also go online to SheridanCommercial.com and view over 42,000 office supply items that you can have delivered to your office or to our store. We'll even deliver them. SheridanCommercial.com is an office supply mega website. The Sheridan Commercial Company office supply department inside at 303 Broadway or online at SheridanCommercial.com Hey, you. Yeah, you with this scafoozy house. It looks like some sketchy things been going on over there. In the yard, it looks like you've been burying things in it. I'm just saying, you ain't gonna get no real estate agent to take you seriously. You can't sell at Fizbo, or as is. It's a kiss of death in real estate. Trust me, I know. You want to get it sold? I know a guy, Devin at Wild Renovation. He'll come out, take a look, and make you an offer you can't refuse. Find him at wildrenovation.com or on Facebook. Facebook. 103.9 FM is News Talk 930. KROE, Sheridan. KROE.